Your company's future success demands agile, flexible, and resilient operations. I'm your host, Daphne Luchtenberg, and you're listening to McKinsey Talks Operations, a podcast where the world's C-suite leaders and McKinsey experts cut through the noise and uncover how to create a new operational reality. Sales, general, and administrative costs, sometimes known as SGNA, GNA, or back office costs, are under pressure. These overheads are facing constant scrutiny as companies look to manage costs in a fast-moving and often volatile economy. Today, we're bringing together three experts from our operations practice to talk about the pressures leaders of these functions are facing and the role of digital technologies, including generative AI, in helping them to succeed in the future. They'll be talking about opportunities to reset and reimagine SGNA functions, a topic covered in our recently published compendium that you can learn more about if you visit our episode webpage. Let's get the conversation started. Welcome to Matt Joachim and Martin Rosendahl, partners in our London office, and Sandrook Thomas, an associate partner based in Zurich. Matt, let me start with you. What are some of the fundamental pressures that GNA functions are facing today? It's interesting that we saw clients and companies go through COVID and really lean into making some tough choices and navigating uncertainty. What we saw last year is that companies seem to have acknowledged the need to continue to do more, to be competitive, to be focused on the right investments, but they actually didn't really deliver. And what our research says is that most companies set ambitious targets for themselves, but few actually delivered on the targets that they had set. So what I think now in a world where we've got increasing complexity geopolitically, increasing pressures in terms of commodity inflation and labor uncertainty and all these things going on, the leaders are now having to say, what's next? We need to face into this and find ways to be more productive, but the answers aren't easy or straightforward. Thanks, Matt. And Martin, are there other challenges that leaders in this area are facing? What advice are you giving your clients? Look, what CFOs asks us right now is, how should I balance the short-term cost pressures driven by inflation versus the more long-term innovation of these functions. So they come through AI, Gen AI, process optimization. So what we're advising clients is this is a time for very courageous leaderships by CFOs. It's a time for CFOs to step up. And we think they need to both reset their functions, but they also need to reimagine. And the courageous leadership will display in the ways of doing both at the same time. So optimizing your cost base short term, innovating for the future through AI and technology. Yeah, and if I can build on Martin's comments, these sorts of exercises oftentimes aren't fun. Like the reset piece of this, companies, leadership teams, the employee base broadly has gone through restructuring and belt tightening and that sort of thing. But it's a necessary part of running a, a healthy PL and continually reallocating the company's resources, both financial and human resources, to be focused on the right things. The reimagine side of this is where the inspiration can really come from in terms of helping improve the competitiveness of the business, giving colleagues the tools that they need to do a better job, really creating distance between yourself and your competition or finding new ways to serve your customers more effectively. And so I think that this is beyond just the idea of how do you solve the financial puzzle. There's also some real opportunity here to lead and to motivate and inspire the organization to do things better and to be a healthier business on the other side. Samdruk, I'd love to bring you in here to talk more about the reset and reimagine approach. How is the reimagine phase showing up in reality at the moment? When it comes to the reimagine part, one of the challenges that we are seeing is that there is a certain disconnect with CXOs between the level of aspiration where 
we see that the majority, over two-thirds of CXOs and companies are investing significantly in digital and analytics, but at the same time, actually less than 25% based on our research are actually seeing the benefits and managing to capture sizable value from these investments. Thanks, Sandrook. And I'd like to stay with you for a while as we switch our focus slightly to digitization of GNA functions, a pretty key element of the reimagine phase. How are you seeing companies use digital to enable GNA transformations? So when we look at digital, there's two waves of digitization in GNA and support functions. The first wave that has been more focused on RPA and what we call analytical AI, so leveraging AI to solve problems faster, more efficiently. But what we now increasingly see is the second wave, which is building on Gen AI, so leveraging AI to create new content, generate new insights that is now having more widespread adoption. And the impact on functions like finance over the next three to five years will be very significant. And some clients that we work with have found that there is a rather simple recipe on how to think is, how should my workforce shift with the increased importance of technology? And typically they would look at what roles are augmented. So for example, in financial forecasting, I'm a financial planner, I'm an analyst. What does the intelligent forecast tell me? There could be roles that are accelerated. I can do my job quicker. I can close quicker. There are jobs that literally will get automated. We talked about this for some time. This wave is now really happening. And then there's a fourth category, typically forgotten, which is the added. So the new roles that we don't have today in the finance functions that we will be critical to get the full benefit of AI and generative AI. So the augmented, the accelerated, the automated, and the added. If I can build on that, I think that we see a lot of conversation about things like Gen AI and what does this mean? What's the buzz? Or is this buzz or is this real? I think that our view is, on the one hand, look, we don't fully know how this is going to play out, just like we didn't know how wireless technology or the internet was going to enable business. But we know that this is big and this is a real shift. And so what we're advising clients to do is to familiarize themselves. And we think that in many businesses, it makes sense to begin doing some investments to start to explore and understand the potential of how these sorts of technologies could add value. But it is going to take a little bit of time for this to sort itself out, to clarify in terms of what's the real at-scale business value. That's a great point, Matt. And sometimes CFO asks us, who is the best in AI? Where should I look for inspiration? Am I ahead or behind my competitors? And in one way, it is not really the right question to ask. We're in the early days here. This is a marathon. We're in the first, second K of this. So if you're a couple of meters ahead or behind, it doesn't really matter. What matters is, do you have a strategy? Are you building the right capabilities? Are you testing and trying fast? Are you having the right partnership? Are you open for innovation? Those are really the questions that CFO should ask right now, rather than, am I slightly ahead or behind on my peers? Yeah, and I think there's three critical success factors that we advise CFOs and CXOs to take into consideration as they embark on their digital journey, also with Gen AI. The first one is more on the technical part, so having the right solution architecture in place. But that is actually only the foundation. What is even more important is having a business-backed transformation approach, identifying the right domains and use cases that will deliver value. So it's less about 
how can I apply Gen AI, but where will it actually deliver benefit to the company? And the third that Martin already mentioned is really around people and change management, building up the internal capabilities. And I think this last point around people and capabilities is an easy one to overlook. I think it's easy to get focused on processes and technology. What we're seeing in many companies is that talent and people becomes the bottleneck. And how are you building the skills and the culture? One example on here from one of my clients I worked with for many years, they had literally invested in every technology that exists. They had acquired software, they had all cloud solutions, anything that was out there, they had it. Still, the value wasn't coming through. And when you start looking under the hood here, it's really about having the right capabilities for them to make use of all of this exciting and fantastic technology. And I think that's really a core lesson that we've seen more in general with clients. They do have a lot of technology, but how do they have the right capabilities to make the most out of it? Thanks, Martin. That's really interesting. And I'd just like to get a bit more granular for a moment on one element of digitization, data quality. That seems to be a pretty big stumbling block for companies. What's your experience with clients here? Over to you, Matt. So one of the things that we often hear from clients is that my data is poor. My data is too bad for me to do some of the things that you're describing. Counterintuitively, what we see in most companies is the whole idea of putting the data to use is what improves the data. If the data is just sitting in a back room, nobody really understands it. It's not people don't understand what it's used for and why it matters. It is difficult to improve it just as a corporate enterprise exercise. I've seen plenty of failed master data optimization efforts. What we tend to see is that once all of a sudden the data is actually being used and people are seeing that, but wait a minute, that data is wrong. We need that fixed to make the right decision. Then the organization kicks into, okay, now it is just part of what is required to run the business for this data to be maintained, to be correct and so on. And so a bit counterintuitively, stepping into applying and using the data is one of the critical enablers to getting data of sufficient quality to actually get good analytics and outcomes. Many clients in this situation also hit some boundaries. So clearly, also with the increased cyber threats, many clients have put boundaries in how to use and access data. So in the approach that Matt was describing, it is very helpful to work very closely with your cyber team, with your compliance teams, and make sure you find the right balance. The right balance between protecting the enterprise, protecting the organization, but also ability to make use of all the data internally, externally, that many organizations have today. So let me give you an example. A couple of years ago, there was a really big push around zero-based budgeting. And companies were going through the process of really applying cost at the GL code and cost center level. And inevitably, when you would go through and look at the historical spend, there would be many, many misclassified POs. Well, in reality, they didn't care because they hadn't been using that data to actually drive any decision-making. Now, all of a sudden, you pivot towards the spin being really scrutinized at a very granular level, and it starts raising questions as to, but wait a minute, you said that that's IBM for business software, but that's actually consulting. We should be classifying that as consulting. And so working through that process actually led to the recognition of why it matters, and that leads to the accountability and the actions to actually maintain the data in a healthier, higher quality way. Thanks, Matt. And of course, it is important to look at the challenges. But what about the opportunities? Martin, can you give us a vision statement on what you think digital solutions can do for GNA functions in the next three to five years? That's a fantastic question. And we'll have a view. Many clients will have a view. 
What is possible today is around three areas. It is possible today to allow access to data, financial data, operational, commercial data, to the broader organizations to make the right decisions. It is possible today to automate the most basic jobs and drive value out of that. And it's definitely possible today to have AI-driven forecasts being in finance or in procurement or in HR. What is possible in three to five years, we can only speculate. But our view is that it will look significantly different than today. So again, back to having the muscle to innovate, to be fast, and, and really follow this evolution of technology, still from a business value perspective, we think is the right way to tackle this. Maybe if I can add two more examples of today. Example number one, I think that companies, when it comes to planning and coordination of activities across functions, in many organizations, the data exists in different pockets, but they're not using it in a way to use common data sets, common assumptions to drive cross-functional decision-making. That is available today, and there are a number of technology solutions that can help enable that. Another that's a bit of a, an enabler that's available today that we are seeing companies step into that's a real game-changer is using these sorts of digital exercises to break out of functional silos. So to think about rather than this is what HR does and this is what finance does, let's think about end-to-end processes like procure to pay or hire to retire. And then to start to think about, but wait a minute, why do we need to hand this off between functions? Why do multiple approvals need to take place? Why is this information being entered in multiple places by different colleagues? And so just taking that end-to-end sort of view can not only unlock digital opportunities, it can just change processes, the ways of interaction, speed up decision-making, streamline the organization. So I think one of the big learnings of all this is doing it holistically, where the digital and technology can be the unlock, the breakthrough, the shift, the catalyst for this sort of reimagined effort. But these are things that can be done today. And so you're saying that technology is becoming a catalyst for reimagining GNA functions. But what about one of the topics of the moment, generative AI? Is it table stakes or is there a real lasting competitive advantage to be had by getting involved now? The way I would frame the question is probably, is it here and now driving business value or is it still an early stage? So we see some of the underlying technologies have existed for years. We definitely see organizations driving value of that to fully make use of some of the more consumer type of solutions that exist, that is not being done at scale in most organizations today. So these are still areas where organizations are exploring. And it is an interesting dynamic. We see many in the executive teams challenging their organizations on these topics. Why? Well, because they are speaking to investors. They are around in the broader world on conferences and organizations. And they're getting a lot of questions on how are their organizations taking advantage of Gen AI? They go back to their organizations and they are facing 5, 10, 20 big issues with how to do that in the corporate world. So here is where really the executives need to unlock the internal boundaries that have existed to really make use of this type of technology. And with Gen AI at the moment, it's a very fast-paced field. And it's still in the early days, at least for the mainstream adoption in the corporate world, as building on Martin's point. That said, we do see a real opportunity here for leaders in the field to have, again, a first mover advantage, to be the first to pilot 
our research suggests that at this point, uh, when we look at CXOs, only around 20% are actively using or piloting any Gen AI use cases. The majority are investigating it, but not actively using it at this point. So there is a real opportunity here. The other question I think is interesting is, is there a recipe for the reset and reimagine approach? I think here what we have learned is the reset really needs to be time-bound. We're talking here about initiatives like demand management requires no investments. It's tough decisions, but should go fast. We're talking about some organizational optimization. We're talking about some external spend. All of these, we recommend, are done within a maximum of a six months, sometimes even three months duration. The reimagine, of course, is a longer term. So this is a 12, 18, 24 month plus journey, still with very tangible business benefits. So don't compromise on what has worked in the, in the past. Business-driven use cases, but building for scale through the capabilities and technology foundation. So this is some of the recipe that we've learned being effective in these type of situations. On the recipe, so to speak, I think one of the other learnings is that it is really important for the CFO, the CHRO, and the CEO is the triumvirate in most organizations that have to align and lead. As Martin described, these changes inevitably come with organizational redesign implications, questions about the grading of roles, questions about the appropriate structure, the how to think about the matrix of the organization, and so on. So very important that those three roles are quite aligned and are leading the organization. Another way to look at the Gen AI question is think about what's the threat. We had a conversation with a client recently, and we were thinking about exploring the potential application of Gen AI for R&D and new product innovation. And the conversation was an interesting one in that the head of R&D was a bit lukewarm at first to the idea of how much benefit there would be to his organization. But at some point in the conversation, it tipped into what if our competitors developed this capability? And there was a bit of heavy silence. And the reaction was if they were able to generate products faster, put more ideas in front of the customer because of this in the narrow windows that we have to respond to customer requests, that could actually be a real detriment to our business. And so I think there's a a lens here, which isn't just what do I do with it? But what happens if my competitors figure this out? Is that something that would really put my business at risk? Yeah, and there's the two different strategies which Martin mentioned. One is a more defensive approach, which is investigating how will digital, how will AI affect my business, disrupt my ways of working. But the other one is a much more proactive approach where you think about how can I identify sources of value to invest in. And once you've got your strategy in place, how do you actually go about integrating digital into your GNA functions? We know that transformations are hard. What are some of the tips you can share here? So I think that one of the big steps here is to demystify the whole notion of digital transformation. This isn't about shiny tools and latest and greatest technical advances per se. What it's really about is, how am I going to run my business better? How am I going to do things at lower cost? How am I going to do things faster? How am I going to do things at higher quality? Which requires, as we've mentioned before, not just the technical piece, not just the systems and the data, but also new ways of working, new skills, different decision rights, different alignment around risk and that sort of thing. So I think on the how, the biggest breakthrough here is to think about digital as an enabler for changing, for reimagining the way that we're going to manage SG&A, the way that we're going to manage the business. 
but then also thinking about this as a business problem enabled by technology or a business opportunity rather than thinking about this as something that the CIO needs to fix. So when we look at what are the biggest success factors in making such a transformation successful, what our research shows is that actually one of the biggest enablers is having a clear strategic roadmap in place as to where are the pockets of value, how will we get there. Building on Matt's point, many clients that we see are over-indexing on the technology part, whereas it's also about how do we ensure we have the right operating model in place, how do we build up the internal capabilities the change management approach, etc. Building internal capabilities and the need for change seems like a great point to wrap things up. Many thanks to all of you for your time today. We'll be continuing the conversation about SGNA cost management in another episode of McKinsey Talks Operations, looking at what we can learn about these functions from startups and disruptors. Does their approach add new opportunities for better cost management? You've been listening to McKinsey Talks Operations with me, Daphne Luchtenberg. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. Another great episode starts now.